The Dance of Gods, Book One, Spell of Catastrophe, by Mayor Alan Brenner. Chapter Seven, Shaw Converses. The afternoon was creeping onward. Rusingalvaya would shortly begin to come alive with the pad of muffled footfalls, the slink of stealthy passages, and the whisper of watchwords. Knives would flash, and men would fall, while decent folk would stay indoors. Overall, it would be a typical night. Actually, though, it probably wouldn't, at least if Zalzain Shah had anything to say about it, and it looked increasingly as though he would. Shah considered himself a decent person, as he had discovered most persons felt about themselves, but nonetheless he would be out in the streets. That is, he would start by being out in the streets. Shaw collapsed his spyglass, stowed it away under his cloak, and turned back to Jerten Mont. Mont was barely visible to him in the thick shadow behind a dark chimney, but would be totally concealed from anyone on the ground or even on the surrounding rooftops, which were lower. Let me get this straight, Shaw said. Four days ago the venerance clutches his throat and dies. This twerp car proclaims himself venerance, locks up his father's government as a precautionary move, and starts rounding up everybody who's ever looked at him wrong under the cover of martial law. That's the outline. Not, he added in an aside, apparently aimed at no one in particular, that it is remarkably unique. Mont shifted irritably and said, So it's not unique. Who cares if it's not unique? It doesn't have to be unique to be bad. Well put, Shah said. There are few situations these days that are truly unique, if indeed there ever were. What gives any situation its individual character are the personalities involved in the nature of one's own personal stake. Thus it is that we come to the matter at hand, in which the major issue is your personal stake. Yes? I guess so. It's got to be my stake. I'm the only one left. They're my family. I can't just let them rot. Jerton mumbled something else beneath his breath. What was that? Shaw said. I'm afraid I didn't catch that last bit. Mont's voice wasn't much louder the second time. I said, I wish I was more of the rescuing type. Is there a rescuing type, Shah mused? You may not be that type yet, whatever it is, but you do have the makings of another, more useful type. What's that? The intelligent type. Which is to say that you're apparently smart enough to know when to get help. Yeah, but, I don't know, I feel like I should have been doing it myself, instead of going out and... There's nothing dishonorable about bringing in a consultant, Shah said. You tend to behave rationally, at least some of the time, and you made the rational decision. Shall we go on? Mott looked at Shah, stared at him for a moment, then looked away. His head bobbed once in an uncertain nod. Yet a nod it had been. Your father, you said, was one of the first to be picked up, along with the rest of Carr's immediate family and other potential claimants to this middleweight throne, the members of the cabinet and similar assorted threats. Your father is a grain merchant who's doing rather well for himself. Suffice it to say that is not the reason he's in the dungeon. The reason he's in the clink is that he was a military advisor to the former veterans. That's not exactly what I said. The sort of advisor who specializes in pulling one out of nasty scrapes, hmm? Shah said. By the strength of his own sword, if need be. That kind of relationship with someone like an ex-venerance would certainly make him dangerous now. On the other hand, if Carr could make your father go over to him, that would be something of a public relations coup now, wouldn't it? My father hates Carr, 
Yes, but what about torture? Mont gave a small snort. You don't know my father. He likes torture. Says it builds character. I suspected as much, but that's not quite what I had in mind. Not torture of himself, no, but what about other members of your immediate family? Siblings, perhaps? I've got a sister. Ah, uh, how nice. Do you get along? Yeah, well, I guess so. I, too, have a sister. Unfortunately, our relationship has certain issues. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. As am I. But the point most pertinent to your situation has been made. That is, there are others available whose suffering could be used in principle to sway your father's loyalty. Even, one may venture to say, you could be used as a pawn. My father might not mind seeing me tortured. But anyway, they'd have to catch me first. Yes, indeed, Shah said, filing the predicate away for future exploration. Hence the scene this afternoon. Or was the guard after you because you'd stolen an apple? So, you'd like to spring your family from the Huskow before the guard gets you, too. That is not an insignificant task. Are you saying you can't do it? I thought you were just... Keep your composure. When I say something seriously objectionable, you'll know. The task is not... in. The task is not insignificant, true, but it doesn't seem insurmountable either. These old dungeons usually have some tricky way of getting in. Jert and Mont looked down past their dangling feet and the vast slab of the warehouse wall toward the rolling black surface of the river Ulvan, slapping the pilings under the wharf far below. I guess I'm going to have to trust you, he said. Eventually, Shaw said to himself, he may stop saying that and actually start to do it. After a moment for contemplation, Shaw spoke. Leaving aside your own personal stake in the matter for a moment, let us move on to the question of the relevant personalities, specifically to the issue of Carr himself. As you so aptly pointed out, the whole city knows Carr. That's part of the problem. He's the kind of person you'd spit at when you see pass in the street, right before you run for your life so he won't slash you to death with his whip. Mont spat over the side of the building. Carr's a... Drunk, a gambler, a... A most thoroughly reprehensible creature indeed, Shaw said, especially given that he now seems to be in charge. Under other circumstances, Shaw thought to himself, perhaps not that bad of a fellow, except for what sounded like a bit of a cruel streak. Still, given the suspicious background and the fact that Carr would be rather low on any candidate list of rulers likely to prove competent, I suspect there's more to this than merely Carr himself. Yeah, I know what you mean, Mont said. There's some things about all of us that don't make sense. So, perhaps I will venture certain educated guesses. If Carr is the wonderful spirit and all-around great guy you describe, from where does his backing originate? After all, he not only managed to pull off the initial coup, he's also been able to make it stick, at least so far. There's more to that than just locking people up. What about all the extra guard? They must cost real money. "'Ah,' Shah said, "'yes, indeed. That is a point of great significance. This vast body of troops marching as one indivisible body to the tune of Car the Magnificent.' "'Car the Magnificent? What are you talking about now?' "'Only a small exaggeration at this stage, a bit of advertising hyperbole, but teapot tyrants have a tendency to move into the grandiloquent regions with remarkable alacrity.' He'll be calling himself Magnificent or Transcendent or some such inside of a month if he's still around. He'd better not be around. I pray the gods will not permit such a terrible... Shaw raised an eyebrow and glowered at Mont. 
The gods, he said, are another subject entirely. Suffice it to say that the current crop of gods does not deserve your prayers and are unlikely to be of any present use whatever. Mont dropped his jaw and looked scandalized. But, but if we pray hard enough, maybe we could get a blessing. Maybe we can get a god to help us. The gods are a mixed blessing at best, Shaw said, especially the little ones who muck around with people. Although they rather like creatures like Carr. Simple, pliable, vicious, not too smart. Carr couldn't have been a better tool if a god had designed him from scratch. Indeed, the last thing we want is some god noticing the situation and deciding it could further their latest plan. Please retract your prayer and hope the gods are busy at the moment. That's much safer all around. Now, about the guard. Mont closed his mouth, but the expression of moral distress remained on his face. The guard, right. Yes? Yes. There are many more troops around than one would expect for a city of this size. They have not been raised by levy, yet their faces are not familiar. Correct? I, uh, I don't know. I don't spend much time on the streets. I didn't spend time on the streets, he corrected quickly. Shaw sent a sardonic smile out over the river. Right. The faces are not familiar. Ergo, Carr has been importing foreign help for some time. Now, what is suspicious about that? Are you asking me? Certainly I'm asking you. I'm trying to stimulate discussion, sharpen your appreciation for the nuances. Think of it as a form of education, especially useful in context. Relatively painless, but highly relevant. Again now, the suspicious factor. While Mott thought it over, Shaw looked behind them, rechecking the flat roof. The city was becoming a sheaf of paper cutouts, silhouetted against the declining sun, their outlines starting to flicker in the glow of firelights. How could Carr know in advance he'd need troops, Mont said. His father dropped dead all of a sudden. They said it was something natural, so how could Carr have planned for it? Very good, Shaw said. That is indeed the point I was after. In a case like this, they always say it's natural causes, but it very rarely is. Whenever you hear about someone dropping dead under questionable circumstances that just happen to be large advantage to someone else, certain things should run through your mind. Natural causes will run through only long enough to escape out the back. They may creep again into consideration when absolutely everything else has been excluded, and even then they will creep very tentatively. How can you be sure? One can never be sure. The important thing is to keep the various possibilities in mind. Okay, I get it. So what's next, then? Murder? Inevitably. The mediums of murder are many, but they can be categorized. There is murder by normal physical means, murder by straightforward magic, and what one might call murder by loophole. What's that last one? When I say murder by loophole, I mean that some unusual illusion or subterfuge is involved. Shah rested his elbows on his knees and leaned forward. Far off on the water, beyond the moored lines of boats gently rocking on the swell, lights twinkled on the hulking masses of the three major islands. The parapets of the palace traced out their serrated edges against the dusk of the evening sky. The walls and island shore that Shah had examined earlier with his spyglass were now deeply in shadow. Suppose the venerants had actually expired some time previously. It's not impossible, you know. His corpse could have been temporarily reanimated while someone waited for other preparations to come due. Another possibility. Suppose the person who died wasn't the venerance at all. Could have been a projection, a wraith, a tragsmogrificant. 
a what? Somebody else spiffed up to look like him. Think of it as a really good masquerade, yes? Uh, yeah. But then how can you know who anybody really is? How do you know anything you see is really the truth? Who can you trust? Those questions are at the core of the unsettling implications of magic. Magic is a tool like any other tool, sword or hoe or ship or book, and as such can be used for good or ill. Also, like most other tools, it complicates life, making many people wish it had never been invented. On a less philosophical level, the questions you raise are a major reason there are court magicians and professional aura readers. Their prime purpose is to see through appearances. For every untruth, there usually is a way to expose the underlying actuality. Anyway, Shaw said, stretching, practically speaking, these considerations are rarely a problem. Magic may be destabilizing, but it's also expensive, especially the fancy stuff. Mont was sucking on his lip. I think I thought of something else. What if Carr had somebody who could see the future tell him when his father was going to die? I believe you have begun to acquire the proper perspective, Shaw said approvingly. It is time to advance to the next topic. What's that? One side of Shaw's mouth curled up and pulled the rest of his face into a sardonic grin. I thought you wanted to act. You did give that impression. Sure I want to act. Well then, what is your plan? I thought you were going to do the plans. Shaw raised an eyebrow. Oh, I get it. More education. Well, we have to storm the dungeons, release the prisoners, and overthrow Carr. That sort of thing. That sort of thing, Shaw said. The two of us. You don't have to sound so sarcastic about it. You've got a better plan? You can tell me about it. Shaw displayed an ostentatious pout, then let it slide deliberately into his more usual lopsided grin. You do not find me being sarcastic, or at least no more than usual. Your basic plan happens to be the one I had in mind myself. It is, after all, a classic of its kind, and anyway, an adventure is an adventure. Mont rolled his eyes. And of all the characters I could find, he thought, the one I'd come up with is a nut. Or maybe just an actor. You're a pretty strange guy, you know that? I have been told so. Still, I am not alone in strangeness. Mont squinted across at Shaw. Shaw was sinking into an air of impenetrability. You're about to ask me something I'm not going to like, Mont said. I can tell. Shaw made a noise midway between a snort and a growl. One of the things he hated most was being predictable, especially while he was doing his impenetrability shtick. Yes, he said, that is true. I need to know more about your seizure disorder. Mott looked away from Shaw, off across the river. I don't like to talk about it. Nevertheless, you must. You don't like to talk either. Let's trade. You ask me a question, I ask you one. Why are you doing this for me? Why, indeed, Shaw thought. I don't have to put up with this. I only put up with what I choose. He started to rise. On reflection, friend Mont, I recall that you clearly failed to have the only adventure in town. Stay where you are, Mont said. The glint of metal appeared in his hand, its abrupt edge glittering orange in the last light of the sun. Shaw stared at him. You do have possibilities, as I have mentioned, but you are still an idiot. What's the matter with a few questions, Mont said, waving the knife. It's only fair. Okay, I need your help, but you must want something out of me, too. I think I'd better know what it is. 
This is ridiculous, Shaw said, and this time there was no doubt about his tone. At this rate, a man will have to get a license from the Chamber of Commerce before you help an old lady across the street. Just what do you expect to do with that fly slicer? I'm going to get some answers. Shaw sighed, then whistled a few bars of a sprightly popular tune. Mont's form sagged. The orange reflections poured from his hand, went dark as they vanished over the edge, glinted once more as the knife entered the water. Shaw seated himself again, leaned back, and draped one leg over the other, ending his tune with the flourish of a chirping bird. After a moment, Mont stirred. That was a dirty trick, he said. Thank you. Think of it as another educational supplement. Shaw crossed his hands behind his head, letting one leg swing idly. I submit that our relationship thus far has not been optimally genial. I propose we make a new start to preserve our mutual sanity. What kind of new start? Mont said warily. I've really come down in life, Shaw thought, to be reduced to bargaining with a truculent kid. Since your curiosity seems to be the primary sticking point, I will answer your questions. Up to a point. You will? Really? Yes, really. I did say so. You, in return, will try to keep in mind that it's your city and your family in danger, not mine, that I am offering essentially for free a level of expert advice and assistance that you would have trouble finding at any price on the open market, and that finally I might actually have some idea of what I'm talking about, and some reason for the things I do. You will also do what I say and argue later. Agreed? Yeah, okay, I agree. But I'll be watching you. You'd better help me good. I have every intention, Shaw said dryly, hence this whole drawn-out exercise. As a token of my intent, in fact, you may even ask the first question. Try a simple one for a start. Mont was taken aback, but not rendered speechless. Okay, he said, that's easy. You carry a sword. Can you handle it? Although such actions speak louder than words, in a word, yes. I once took a comprehensive advanced course with one of the better blade persons it has been my fortune to encounter. Who's that? Maximilian, Shaw said, the vaguely disreputable. I've never heard of him. He doesn't generally go in for the popular press. Shaw paused. Mont had spoken with some authority, as though he had expected to recognize the name. Do you try to stay abreast of the major sword-swinging talent out of basic principles, or do you have aspirations along those lines yourself? Mont looked away. It's not me, it's my father. He has these guys over to the house all the time, and I hear what they talk about, so I know lots of the big names. He sighed, his shoulders drooping. My father was the lion of the Ulvan Plain. I guess he thinks I'm a disgrace to him. I don't want to be a fighter, not really, but he thinks it's the only acceptable thing to do. Ah, Shaw thought, you want to rescue your father and thus prove your worth. An honorable motive, indeed, if potentially transient in effect, given what he'd already heard about the senior Mont. Indeed, Shaw said aloud, I dare say your father's opinion of you may never be the same again following this experience. Mont shifted nervously, perhaps a bit flustered, cleared his throat. Uh, I, uh, why do you talk like that all the time? He blurted. 
Shaw had the feeling that what had just emerged from his mouth was not quite what Mont had really started to say. Still, whatever it was supposed to have been would no doubt come out in due course. The tendency toward a somewhat baroque sentence structure runs in my family. And now, if you're quite finished with your first question on, I might add, the installment plan, it would seem to be my turn. Your attacks are related to music, yes? Shaw watched Mont Mull, then looked back at the deepening violet of the sky. All it needs is a little of that pink phosphorescent rain, he thought, like they have around that swamp, what was that place called? I should find a way to export that rain, it certainly had character. My problem's not just music, it's anything rhythmic, really, Mont said. Cartwheels going over a bridge, horses trotting, that kind of thing. Those are the easy ones. I can usually fight them off by concentrating hard, but my thinking gets sort of fuzzy, and sometimes I can't see. Music is the worst, anything that has a beat. If music's out of tune, I can maybe concentrate around it, too, only most of the time it's no use. Any music with a regular part makes me go... It's like my mind starts pounding along with it and pushes away everything else. The next thing I know, I'm lying on the ground somewhere. Churton paused, cutting off the rush of words. Though his head was turned, Shaw had the feeling he was setting his jaw and gritting his teeth. You, uh, you don't think I'm a, a freak, do you? Certainly not. Your ailment may be unusual, but I wouldn't categorize it as freakish. Could be a curse, but I doubt that. My snap diagnosis would be some interesting oddity in your organic nervous system. None of your fault, obviously, but a significant handicap nonetheless. Hmm, I must think. It is not impossible that there may be something that can be done. You, uh, you know, I've, I've been to lots of doctors. The revelation fails to shock. None of them did anything that helped. They kept bleeding me or waving their arms around and giving me horrible things to drink. None of them would ever talk so I could understand, either. Yes, well, the state of the medical profession is not what it should be, Shaw said superciliously. Are you sure you're really a doctor? I mean, you're not like any of the other ones. Few of the other ones are like me. Sadly, the scientific method is not currently in repute. The what? Just my point. Shaw had still been thinking while he talked, and the most singular symptom was intriguing him more and more. Music, you say? Music, Mont groaned. Yeah, music. Sometimes it feels like my life's run by music. I... Oh, I don't care if you think I'm crazy, but I guess I'd better tell you this, too. The, uh, seizures aren't all. I... Uh, I hear music all the time. Please elaborate. Shaw, his fingers interlaced on his chest, his eyes closed, was beaming beatifically up at the sky. Finally, he thought, a decent diagnostic challenge. This is quite fascinating, he added. Uh, thanks, said Mont. Whatever I do, there's always a little bit of music playing along in the back of my head. It matches my mood, sort of matches what I'm doing. Other time it matches what's going on around me, picks up if there's action or excitement or stuff like that. All different kinds of sounds, all kinds of instruments, every instrument I've ever heard, and lots more. Of course, I can only hear an instrument, for real, I mean, like when a live musician's playing on the street. I only hear it when it's out of tune or when it's not being played right, but I've still heard enough to know what they sound like. Trumpets, birds, thompers, you name it, I hear it in my head. One's own private orchestra, Shaw murmured, swelling with the crescendos of life, playing marches at weddings, off-key polkas at wakes, soft strings for candlelit dinners, 
the slink of slide horns for menace. That is quite an affliction, my friend. Have you yourself tried to play an instrument? Have you tried to write this music down? I've, I've never tried. I, uh, I didn't know what might happen. Feedback, Shaw wondered, resonance effects? We will see. There is much in you to study. You are unique, yes, but certainly not a freak, he sighed. Much as I would like to begin the investigation now, though, there are other pressing matters afoot. It is time for the plan of action. Just a second. You asked your big question. I get to ask you mine. Like most people, Shaw thought, Mont is sharpest where his self-interest is concerned. I try never to do business with a sea lawyer, he said, but I suppose sometimes it is a necessary evil. Very well, ask away. You know my question. Why are you helping me? That one again? There's a prophecy. What do you mean a prophecy? That's no answer. That's not much of a question. Shah's eyes, if Mont could have seen them, were not focusing on anything in particular. There is a prophecy that I would meet the major love of my life while on an adventure. I haven't met whomever it is yet, so I am forced to continue to dredge up new escapades. There are certain penalty clauses also involved, making it unproductive for me to swear off the idea of love and merely retire to a mountaintop on a permanent basis. These were not the only clauses, but Mont hopefully didn't know enough to ask, and Shaw certainly didn't intend to volunteer more than had already been squeezed out. What about that curse you mentioned before? This prophecy isn't a curse? It doesn't guarantee anything about the condition I'll be in at the time. It won't be too exciting to fall in love with someone right after I've been run through with a pike. If you say so, Mont said, apparently failing to detect Shaw's evasion. For a change, Shaw thought, friend Mont has managed to do something helpful. Well, Mont continued wistfully, at least there's a nice girl out there waiting for you, whatever shape you're in. The prophecy unfortunately neglected to mention details of personality. It also neglected to mention such particulars as sex, or for that matter, species. Uh, do you mean, who can say? Shaw said gloomily. All I can hope is that the escape clause will not be too offensive. He eyed Mont. I do tend to think twice before introducing myself to people. Even in the gloom, Shaw could see Mont turn white. Mont gulped. Can't you fight it? Maybe the prophecy could be wrong. The circumstances of its origin made things quite clear, unfortunately. Now, if you're quite satisfied for the moment, uh, yeah, I guess I am. Then we can get on with it, Shaw said. I have some skill with boats. Boats? But we don't have a boat. Acquiring the boat is one of my skills. Shaw rose to go. Coming next, Chapter 8, Scientific Interlude. <laughs>